May these words of my mouth and this meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but not one of us has preached on the gospel in an actual honest-to-goodness month of Sundays. We've preached on Old Testament readings, we've treated the epistles, but we have all steered clear of Matthew. Matthew is a tricky one. As Barbara Brown Taylor has said, if Matthew and Luke had churches in my town, I would definitely go to Luke's church. Every time I visit Matthew's church, I sit near the door. Things are so clear-cut for him. In his world, you are either a sheep or a goat, a wheat or a tare, a wise maiden or a foolish one. It's clear. And three guesses where you're headed when the kingdom comes. The gospel lessons we've not preached have almost all been parables. Stories that have begun, the kingdom of heaven is like and then been followed by terrible stories. Landowners who put their servants to death, um, threats that the kingdom of heaven is going to be taken away from us, and tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of heaven before any of us will. There's been lots of finger-wagging in Matthew. They're tough stories. And they beg the question, if this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, do I really want to go there? Richard has often said in his sermons, when he was doing the parables, that parables are an invitation to imagine. And I think this one is a particularly good example of that. There are indeed scary warnings in this tale, but there's also a farcical quality that demands that we engage imaginatively with this text. A king throws a banquet for his son's wedding. Nothing strange there. He invites all of his best A-list friends. Also not surprising. But they would not come. We should start to think there's something strange about this. No one turns down a royal invitation. The king has killed the fatted calf, and all of his finest things have been prepared for the feast. And yet the guests cannot be bothered to come. The king sends out his servants again to invite the guests, and not only do some of them make light of it, We should think it very strange that the term kill the messenger really applies in this story. And the king responds with rage. That's understandable. But he also burns the city. And I just want to remind you that all that food is still sitting on the table waiting for people to come feast. Deeming the surviving A-listers to be unworthy, the king sends out more servants to go, therefore, into the main streets. The ones that were just burned? I don't know. (laughs) And find everyone 
and invite them. Indeed, they went, and they gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. And the wedding banquet was at last filled with guests. As Barbara Brown Taylor asserted, I would totally be going to Luke's church. The same parable appears in the Gospel of Luke, and it ends in this very spot with the wedding hall filled with guests who have said yes to the generous invitation of the king. But apparently Matthew isn't much into happy endings because he tacks on another ending, one in which the king is so upset that a guest has bothered to show up. I'm just going to remind you, this is a guest who was pulled in off the street last minute and not an A-lister. He is so upset that a guest isn't wearing the appropriate clothing that he orders the offending guest to be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be gnashing of teeth and weeping. I'll take Luke any day. I had the privilege of spending time earlier this week with Jerome Berryman. He's the creator of the Godly Play program, which we use with our children here on Sunday mornings at St. John's. And we're not the only ones. Godly Play is used in more than 40 countries across the world. And Jerome is a sometimes parishioner here at St. John's. Jerome's premise of teaching children our sacred stories is rich and beautiful, and it invites creative and imaginative thinking. Every storyteller, which is what they call the teachers, every storyteller sits on the floor with the children in a circle around them. And after they've told our stories from the Bible, they ask the same set of questions week after week. I wonder which part of the story you like best. I wonder which part of the story is the most important. I wonder which part of the story you like least. I wonder if there is a part of the story we could leave out and still have all the story we need. I wonder which part of the story is most about you. Can you imagine if we as adults allowed ourselves to enter scripture with those questions? So I'm inviting us to do that now. If we allow ourselves to imagine, to wonder, godly play style about this parable of the wedding banquet, what might we learn about this difficult passage about God and about ourselves? The part of the story I like best is the insistence of the king to keep inviting people to join his celebration. He gives his A-listers several opportunities to accept his generous invitation and be part of the feast. Again and again, he pursues them. And finally, the banquet is open 
to all. I think God is inclusive like this. The part of the story that seems most important to me is that the invitation is ours to accept. It requires action on my part. I have a responsibility to accept the invitation and to show up when I have RSVP'd, something we're not very good about in our culture. I cannot keep carrying on as if there are more important things happening in my life than accepting that invitation. I think God expects that of me. And this will come as no shock. The part of the story I like least is Matthew's tacked-on sartorial smackdown of the underdressed guest. Though I appreciate that it implies that when we accept the invitation, we are not only to show up, we are also to be transformed. Likewise, in my wondering, this last bit is also the part of the story that I think we could leave out and still have all the story that we need. Or at least it still feels like a complete story. Because I believe the most important message here is that God invites all and rejoices when all accept God's invitation. And when I wonder which part of the story is most about me, I just can't escape what I've already said because that's what stuck with me when I was studying the scripture this week, that I have to be alert for the invitation. I have to respond. I have to show up. It is an active, not passive participation. I believe that God wants all of me engaged. The invitations, my friends, have been extended. The feast is prepared and the table is set. I wonder if we're ready to accept, ready to show up, ready to be engaged and ready to be transformed.